Thanks for listening to the Three Strands podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. Hey, if you were here last week, we started a new series called Out of Your Mind. And like Stephanie said, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I hope you go back this week and listen to it online. Um, I'm excited about this series because there's a lot of narrative in it. I was telling Kenny before church, I really, my favorite parts of the Bible are narrative parts. Uh, I like poetry and I, um, I like instruction and all that, but like my favorite parts are the narrative parts where I can like kind of put myself in the stories and like really see the, the picture, what's going on in my mind's eye. And so I'm excited about that. But if you're here last week, I threw out a three strands memory verse challenge, right? And so I've uh, given you guys two verses to memorize during this series. You got another month to memorize them still. And there's a card on the back table that has the verses on it. If you want to grab one, take it with you. But it's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And if you memorize it by the end of May, recite it back to me, you will be rewarded handsomely or beautifully. I don't know why they say handsomely, but handsomely, right? And so uh, if you'll memorize it, you got just read through it every day. You'll kind of have it down by the end of the month probably. But you got one more month by the end of May. So we're going to go through it each week together once. Let's read through it together. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You ready? And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. And those two verses kind of set the framework for this series we're in, Out of Your Mind, and kind of sum up the theme or the main idea we're looking at. What do you do when the battle's inside of you, when the war you're facing is a war in the mind? How do you overcome it? Worry, depression, anxiety, fear. How do you drive those things out of your mind and have victory over them? Uh, How do you get out of your mind, right? And so that's kind of the idea we're looking at. I wanted to start today with a knock-knock joke, all right? And so I was like trying to find a good knock-knock joke. You know what I found out? It's like almost all knock-knock jokes are real cheesy, but that's kind of what a knock-knock joke is. So I don't want you to hold that against me, but I went through and I looked at a bunch of them and I picked out four. I thought, well, maybe these four would work, you know? And then I decided to field test them ahead of time. And so I um, checked them out on a group of friends last night. That went horribly, right? And then I also checked them on my family. That also, thumbs down. Every single one of them had a different idea which one was their favorite. So I was trying to pick one out of the four I had, like, narrowed it down to to share with you guys today, and they all picked different ones. So instead... You're so lucky today. I'm just going to give you all four of them. Is that okay? I couldn't narrow it down to one, so I'm going to give you all four. And I already know ahead of time, don't make fun of me after church, I already know ahead of time they're all cheesy, okay? Are you you ready? Everybody got their, their like, comic side ready? Okay. So I need, this is like, knock-knock jokes only work if the other side does their part. You you know what I mean? Okay. So, you ready? Knock-knock. Ooh, that was good. That was good. Let's start. That was so good. I was... I don't even know what church I'm in. All right, let's try that again. You ready? Knock, knock. Spell. W-H-O. I'm on. Some of you are like, woo. I went right, woo, right over the other. Okay. Let's do another one. You ready? Knock, knock. Art. 
R2-D2. Oh, <laughs> you guys said R2. I said R2-D2. Wow, wow, okay. Uh, knock, knock. Gorilla. Gorilla me a hamburger, please. That's not the, uh, is this thing on? Is this thing on or what? All right, one more. Ready? Knock, knock. Hatch. Bless you. Is that? Oh, my gosh. Everybody had a different favor, right? All right, knock, knock joke. Those jokes have nothing to do with the sermon today, right? Other than the fact that the teaching time today is called knock, knock. Right? And so I think by the time we get to the end of the story, you'll understand why we called it that. But I just wanted to um, share those jokes with you because it kind of ties into the title, Knock Knock. And I think by the time we get to the end of this narrative in Acts chapter 12, if you want to follow along in a Bible, you can flip to Acts chapter 12. It's where we'll be most of the time this morning. But Acts chapter 12, there's this story. And I kept thinking all throughout of this idea of like just a continual knock on the door. Knock, 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 knock. So that's where that came from. And so if you're going to flip there, flip there now, Acts chapter 12. Let me read you the beginning paragraph of the story. Kind of helps set the frame of the, of the scene for you. Ready? Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says this. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to per- persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. All right, so stop right there just for a second. Verse 2. So James is the brother of John. Jesus called these guys the sons of thunder, one of the apostles. So kind of the inner three apostles were James, Peter, James, and John, right? They're the three that Jesus took up to the top of Mount Sinai to watch him transfigure or reveal his glory to them. They were kind of like the closest of the close friends to Jesus. And when Jesus left earth, then these three kind of like became front and center leadership in the church in Jerusalem, Peter, James, and John. And so here, James has been arrested and killed by this king, King Herod Agrippa. And the church is kind of like shaken by this, right? Can you imagine? It'd be like if soldiers stormed in here today and they decided to like drag me and Kenny off and they killed me, right? You'd be like, what do we do now, right? Like, okay, what's going on? And so that's what's happening. So not, not that I'm not comparing myself to James. I'm just saying, okay, you get what I'm saying? Okay. So, they, so James has been executed by King Herod Agrippa. He was Killed with the sword, it said. That really is like euphemism or means that they chopped off his head with a sword. That's what that means, really, right? And so then verse 3, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. In other words, when he saw how much political clout this got him or how the people seemed to like it, he was like, oh, I can score some more political points by abusing somebody else. I know nobody today can relate to that idea of politicians doing things just simply to appease their base, right? But that's what's going on here, right? He's just doing something because he thinks it's going to curry him more political favor with Rome, with Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And so he's just decided, hey, if it worked once, why not do it again? So now he goes and arrests Peter, another leader in the church, right? One of these core leaders of their church. Uh, This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers. So 16 soldiers guarding Peter. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after Passover. So they wouldn't execute anybody during the Passover holiday. It was like a, a Jewish thing. They didn't execute you or carry out any sentences. 
That's kind of similar to like America today. A lot of courts and stuff will close down on holidays. Same idea. And so the only reason Peter's even in prison, instead of just going to instant trial and execution, is because it happens to be on this holiday, right? And so Herod arrests him, puts him in prison, and decides after the Passover's ended, then I'll get him out of prison. We'll put him through kind of this sham trial, and I'll be able to execute him too and kind of gain even more political favor. He intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And so what you have here is Herod's prison versus the church's prayer. Who's going to win? And I know you're thinking like, well, we're in church, so I think the church's prayer is probably going to win, right? But, but hang on, let's like actually see what the story, how it unfolds. So you've got Herod's prison versus the church's prayer. And it wasn't just any old prayer like, thank you, God, for this food, amen. It says they prayed earnestly, or they prayed like, this is like on my knees, in tears, praying with passion, with earnest, with, with like angst and anguish inside of me, like a passionate prayer. The church gathered together and they prayed, help God, help God. And it made me think of like Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. I started thinking about this idea this week and I thought about my kids and, and how the older my kids get, the more I know them. Now, maybe you don't feel like that. Maybe you feel like the older your kids get, the less you know them. Maybe that'll happen at some certain age for us too. But right now, it feels like the older they get, the more familiar I get with their habits. And I kind of know the stuff they're going to do. And so like, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Like you're at a party or you're at somebody's house or you're at church and you hear a sound from across the room or in another room and you know it's your kid's voice because you've heard them make those same squeals before. You've heard them make those same cries or moans or yells or that same temper flare up before. And you know that's, and so it's like, what do you do? You're talking to your friends. You're like, I don't know whose kid that is. You just put your head down shame. You don't want to own it, you know? But you know it's your kid because you know their voice. Or like at, at our house, I'll give you a good example. This is at our house. Like our kids, we got about like 15 or 20 steps leading from like the first floor to the second floor, you know? And so like I can tell which kid's coming down the steps, just by the sound of the steps, okay? Now, they, I haven't ever told them this, so it's, it's a surprise for her, but it's like when Sydney's coming down the steps, you know, it's all like dainty, like princess-like. You can't even hardly hear her coming down the steps. Sometimes she's like in your room. You didn't even know she was downstairs. And she, you don't even know till like next week when she like repeats something you thought was a private conversation. But she's like in the room with you because she's so quiet, like a little princess coming down the stairs. And then there's Logan, He's not like a little princess coming down the stairs. In fact, we have about 20 stairs. You only hear like 10 steps. And you're thinking, what's, what's going on? Is he stopping in the middle of the steps? But he's now started trying to do two steps at once. So he like, so you hear like a thud, then a thud. And he's like hopping two steps at the same time, right? So I can tell just by listening which one's coming down the stairs. Same way, like we have a door shut. And we're in the door sitting, you'll come up to the door and she needs something. She'll be like, Mommy, Daddy, I need something. It's like a little, like a little squirrel outside the door. You know, it's like a, it's real precious, you know. Logan, he doesn't even know the door's closed. He just comes in. He's like, Mom, he just comes in. He doesn't even knock. 
He doesn't care. He doesn't care where you're at. It's like just, I can just tell by the way they knock on the door, by the way they walk down the steps, by the way they talk or sound, which kid it is, even if I can't see him. I'm sure you've all experienced stuff like that. But there's a knock in your life every minute of every day, and you have to discern if it's God's knock or somebody else's knock, so you'll know who to let into your life and who not to let into your life. So you'll know what to let into your life or what not to let into your life. There's some knocks that might even sound like they're the devil knocking, but when you look back on them a year later, it turned out it was actually God knocking. It looked like something you didn't want to have any part, part of in your life, something you didn't want to have anything to do with. Then a year later, you look back and you think, that's actually exactly what I needed in that moment. And so it's this ongoing process, I guess, building block of faith in your life where you have to learn each day to understand who's knocking at the door. You have to get more familiar with, get to know God's knock a little better, understand what his voice sounds like a little bit more clearly so that when you hear it, even when you can't see him, you'll start to know it's him knocking at the door to let in. And so let me, uh, let me kind of set the background of this story a little bit, give you an idea of what's going on. So the gospel or Christianity is spreading like wildfire through the Roman world. Hundreds, really thousands of converts are deciding to follow Jesus with their whole heart daily at this time. It seems like every time one of the apostles gets up and preaches, hundreds or thousands of people decide to follow Jesus, are added to the church, get baptized to show everybody else their allegiance to Jesus. It's like a time of great celebration and enthusiasm and passion and excitement. And then at the same time, now Herod murders, executes James, then imprisons Peter. And you have this conflict, this conflict between all this opportunity that seems to be at their doorstep for the faith to spread and all this opposition that seems to be busting the door down to take them all to prison. But that's exactly how life tends to be a lot of times, where opportunity and opposition seem to be showing up in your life at the exact same moment. And, and you can look at all the blessing and be excited about it, or you can look at all the difficulty and hardship and be afraid of it. And you might find yourself like that, where one day you wake up and you're excited and thankful for all the blessing in your life. And then the next day you wake up and you're fearful and worried about all the opposition in your life. They seem to run hand in hand. So that's the setting that's going on in this story. And what I'd like to do with you the rest of the time we've got is just go through the rest of this story and just pull out three principles from God. There's probably a lot more. But just in the time we've got, I'd like to pull out three principles from this story to show you how to escape the prison of your mind. Because you're not going to be shackled between 16 soldiers. The, the king's not going to bust down your door and arrest you to try and collect some political points with the Roman Empire. But you are going to be in prison in your mind a lot of times. Enslaved and imprisoned by depression, discouragement, anxiety, fear, worry. And so how do you escape that prison? Because in this story, Peter's going to escape. So I want to kind of relate that to our lives and show you three clear instructions from God from this, how you can escape the prison of your mind. You ready? Here's the first one. See with your faith, not with your fear. So if you're a note taker, jot that one down. See with your faith, 
not with your fear. And I wonder if there's anything in your life that you see with your faith. Peter, at this point, has no idea what the church is doing. He doesn't know they're praying for him. And the church has no idea how Peter's doing in prison. They're blinded from each other. But sometimes you have to pray by faith even when you don't know if your prayers are making any difference. Sometimes you have to pray even if you can't see results. Sometimes the proof that your prayers are working is actually that the opposition gets worse. Because think about it for a second. If the devil shows up to make your life miserable, he would only do that if something important was happening, wouldn't he? He would only do that if he was trying to defend his turf, if there was actually something at risk. So the fact that opposition is increasing could mean that your prayers are actually making a difference. That opportunity is right there in front of you. And so what's Peter doing? Here he is in prison. He doesn't know what the church is doing. He doesn't know that they're praying for him. What does he do on the night before he's going to go through this sham of a trial and probably be executed? What is he doing? Let me show it to you. It's in verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Other guard, the other, others stood guard at the prison gate. Now this confused me because I'm thinking, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. And really it doesn't, doesn't have to be death row. But I can tell you that like, if you ever watch any of these stories about people who are on death row, they're not really sleeping the night before. And if you've ever been in a situation, not even nearly that severe, but just a situation you're worried about. Maybe a first date you know you're going on the next day. Maybe a new job you're starting the next morning. Maybe uh, uh, something that you have to admit the next day at work that you did wrong to your boss and you're a little nervous about it. Maybe something you have to face and you know it's coming the next day and it gets you kind of like what? Anxious inside. And then what happens? You go to bed that night and you lay there tossing and turning. You can't hardly sleep. I mean, I can't hardly sleep. I can't hardly sleep on Saturday nights. Like I just lay there like thinking about my notes for Sunday. That's just like a, 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 a small little thing I got to do. It's not sitting on death row. Can you imagine sitting on death row, sleeping all night? And that's what Peter's doing. And it, it kind of blows my mind that he seems to have this peace where he can just sleep even though he's facing the worst possible scenario the next morning. But then I thought, maybe it's not that he's sleeping because of what he's seeing around him. Maybe he's sleeping because of what he's already seen. I don't know if you remember this or not, but way back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he calls all these apostles to follow him. One of them is Peter. And in Mark chapter 4, all of these guys are with Jesus in a boat on the Sea of Galilee in this huge storm starts up. The storm is so severe that the professional fishermen, who were also disciples, thought they were going to die. And what's Jesus doing in that moment? He's asleep in the back of the boat with his head on a pillow. All the disciples wake him up and they're like, don't you even care that we we're going to die? Jesus gets up, probably wipes the sand out of his eyes, you know, and he says, be quiet to the wind and water. 
And instantly the storm dies down. Then he looks at all of his followers, his disciples, Peter among them, and he says, why are you so afraid? Why do you still doubt? Where is your faith? Now flash forward. This is about five years later. Peter sits in prison, about to be wrongly executed, and he's asleep. And I wonder if he was thinking in that moment, huh, I've been here before, about to die. And what I did during that moment was I strained. I strained and I rode and I tried and I worked and I sweated and I gave it everything I got while Jesus slept. Maybe it's time to stop straining and start sleeping. Maybe it's time to stop trying and start trusting. Maybe it's time to start seeing with my faith instead of seeing with my fear. What are you like when the smallest little thing is coming the next day? Do you see with your faith or do you see with your fear? And I got news for you. Jesus can do more while you're sleeping than you can do while you're straining. So why are you straining anyhow? What if Jesus isn't doing a miracle in your life simply because you won't get out of the way? Simply because you won't stop worrying and start resting. I mean, which one of you, by worrying, can add one day to your life? And which one of you, by worrying, can add one inch to your height? So why are you worried about all these things that you can't control anyhow? And Jesus says, if you just get out of the way, I'd step in and do something miraculous. Stop straining and start sleeping. So start to see with your faith instead of seeing with your fear. Here's the second principle. You ready? Obedience always comes before freedom. Always. Always. It always works this way. And, and when opportunity shows up in your life, I, I need you to know that opportunity almost always shows up in the form of obedience. Not up. It usually looks like obedience. It doesn't look like an opportunity. Think about it, like from the Old Testament, like, like David and Goliath. Everybody kind of heard that story of David and Goliath. David kills Goliath with the stone, the five smooth stones and all that. He slings it with his slingshot. But think about that story. Goliath didn't come to David's door and knock on the door, and David answered the door, and he was like, hey, David, I've been looking to give you an opportunity to do something great. Why don't you come on over to the battlefield with me? I'll talk some trash on your God. You can come out and kill me. You'll be great. God will be thankful and happy. You'll be able to be famous. It'll be this great opportunity. That isn't what happened. What happened? His dad knocked on the door. He was like, David, you're probably not doing anything. You're just the youngest. I need you to take this food over to your brothers who are doing the real work. And what did David do? He's like, oh, dad, there's no opportunity there. I don't even want to go. You wouldn't even let me fight in that battle. Now you want me to go over there and like, I have to see it with my own eye? I don't want to do that. No, what did he do? He obeyed. The opportunity showed up as obedience. And when he obeyed, he got to live out his destiny. He got to live out an opportunity, but it didn't show up looking like an opportunity. It almost always shows up in the form of obedience. Let me show you in verse 7. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side, <laughs> I love that part, to awaken him and said, quick, get up. 
and the chains fell off his wrist. Now, I looked at that verse and I thought, to me it feels like the sequence of that verse is out of order. Quick, get up. And then the chains fell off his wrist. And I'm like, that's not, I'd be like, angel, I know you're like sent from heaven and all. I'm going to need you to get these chains off me and then I'll stand up. That's exactly how we want the world to work. God, I need you to set me free from everything I'm struggling with and then I'll obey what you're telling me to do. Isn't that what we do? It's like we want, that seems like it's out of order, but if you think that's out of order, then you'll miss the point, which is this, that obedience is what creates freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from needing to know all the details before I take the step. Right? Obedience is what creates freedom. And it was just like that for Peter. He jumps up, and instantly the chains fall off. And that's exactly what you're going to see in the rest of the story. I'm going to give you one step of obedience to take. Take it, freedom. One more step. Take it, freedom. Stand up, and your chains will fall off. And this is hard for us because we don't feel it. We don't feel obedience. It never feels like the thing to do. Go to church, get in a life group, join a serving team, love my neighbor, get up early, read the Bible with my kids, say prayers with them before bed at night, be nice to my coworkers, submit to my boss. None of that stuff ever is what I feel like doing. Come on, man, just get real about it for a second. I mean, everybody's got different interests. My interests are very simple. Stephanie could tell you in like one sentence what I like to do. I like to do very, very few things. What I like to do is I like to sit, not move, and watch something. TV, movie, sports, that's what I do to relax. That's all I like to do. And I would always choose that over everything else if, if I was going to lead with my feelings. But if I'm going to lead with my faith, what kind of life is that? And there's nothing in this passage that you'll see that communicates that Peter had any clue he was going to get out of prison. Nothing he says indicates that he knew he was going to, get, he was going to escape from prison. It looks like he's just going through the motions and obeying whatever this angel tells him to do without even knowing how it's going to play out. And that's how it is. Sometimes you have to fake it. No, not, not fake it. Sometimes you have to faith it. Sometimes you have to faith it until you feel it. You have to faith it until you feel it. Because you don't always feel like getting up and doing the right thing. You don't always feel like responding the right way. You don't always feel like doing what God's saying to do. Sometimes you just have to faith it until you feel it. I don't always feel like singing the lyrics we sing in church. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm free. Sometimes I feel like a slave to sin. But sometimes I just have to sing it until I start to feel it. Sometimes I just have to say it until I start to feel it inside. And most of us would have missed the miracle in Acts chapter 12. Because we wouldn't follow the instructions until we get some of the details. Would we? What do you mean? Why am I getting up? Where are we going? These people are going to wake up. There's a gate. Don't you see the bars? How are we going to get through? Tell me more. Where are we going? Then what? They'll just track me down again and arrest me again. What do I do? Tell me the whole story. I want to know all of it. But then it wouldn't be faith. Isn't faith the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen? So if I see it all, 
then it's not faith. Instead, what God shows me is the next step. And if I'll obey that step, I'll get freedom. Look at verse 8. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. And he did. That's what faith is. Faith is getting dressed before you know where you're going. Isn't that what God said to Abraham? Get up and go, and I'm going to show you where you're going to go. He didn't tell him ahead of time. That's what faith is. It's getting dressed before you know where you're going. Just follow God's plan no matter what. All you need to know is the next direction. I love it when somebody decides to follow Jesus. And there's like this overwhelming feeling of like, oh man, there's so much they need to know. They don't know anything yet. Where do I start? How do I make a disciple? What do I teach them? Where should they start reading in God's word? What's the most important thing? All they need to know is the next step. Hey, you just decided to follow Jesus. Now what? Now get baptized. Let everybody else know you're following him. Bam. What do I do after that? Wait till you get baptized and we'll take. After you do that, then what? We'll go to the next step. It's just one step after another. You don't have to have the Bible memorized to follow Jesus. You don't have to get it all right or become perfect on day one. None of us are perfect. Didn't Opie just share that? When do we become perfect? Not till we get to heaven. I'm still working on it. I'm not there. Are you there? If you find somebody who's there, all you found is not somebody who's perfect. You just found yourself a big liar. That's all you found. We don't get there till we get to heaven someday. All I need to see is the next step. And look at verse 9. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time, he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. He doesn't even know what's going on. He thinks he's having a dream. Like he's just seeing a vision of this angel. He's, he doesn't even know it's really happening. But yet, he just does whatever he tells him to do. Look at verse 10. They passed the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. It's crazy. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. It looks like the angel left him in the middle. Dude, you left me in the middle of the street. And I love it that the gate opens without anybody doing anything without anybody saying a word, God just opened the gate. And that's exactly what God does. God will open up the gate that's in front of you, blocking your way. God will do for you what you cannot do for you. But God will not do for you what you can do for you. Peter had to walk through the gate on his own, didn't he? God opened it, but Peter walked through it. Hey, that's a good rule for your life. God will do for you what you cannot do for you but he will not do for you what you can do for you. That's the faith component of it. And many people are standing and knocking at a door that's already been open. They just don't want to go through it. Should I go to church today, God? Stop knocking. Just go through it. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You don't even have to ask him anymore. Should I jump into a serving role? Should I jump into a life group? Should I love my wife unconditionally, no matter how she treats me? Stop knocking. It's already opened up. 
God opened the door. He's like, there's the door right there. Walk through. Love your wife. You don't even have to ask him anymore about that stuff. See with your faith, not with your fear. And obedience always comes, or freedom always comes after obedience. Obedience always comes before freedom. Here's the third principle. You ready? Don't stop knocking. Don't stop knocking. I want to show you what happened next. So Peter's standing in the middle of the road all by himself. The angel didn't tell him what to do next. He doesn't know what's he supposed to do. Verse 11, Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. What's he saying? He's talking to himself. Just for He's the only one there now. What's he say to himself? Here's what he says. Ready? He says, it came for me, but it couldn't have me. It came for me, but it couldn't kill me. They put me in prison, but God saved me. I thought I was going to die, but here I stand delivered. You might have to say the same thing to yourself each day. You don't have to wait for a crowd to be around. You don't have to say it to anybody else at work. Just say it to yourself. Sometimes you got to say it to me. I know it's coming for me today, but I'm Jesus's, so it can't get me. I know it's coming for me today, but I belong to God, so it can't kill me. I know it's coming for me today, but I'm going to overcome because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You might have to talk yourself into a good day, even if you don't feel like it's coming. And then I thought about this first thought. How's Peter even know where to go? Look at verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many, of, where many had gathered for prayer. How did he know? How did he know they were gathered there for prayer? He didn't know, but he knew because he had been there a lot of times before. He knew where all the believers met. He knew where all the Christians got together with, to pray. And he was like, where should I go to celebrate? Where should I go to hide? Where should I go to tell my story? Right where all the Christians are at. Is that you? You get surrounded by all the Christians? You surround your life? Let me say it this way. Take a look at the people you surround your life with. How many of them are pulling you up? And how many of them are pulling you down? And that will tell you a lot that you need to know about how you're doing in the battle in your head. It's amazing. It's amazing to me in this verse that these people are still in there praying. Because I looked at this and I'm thinking like, if I'm this church, like I got to think we probably like disbanded for a while. Like they just murdered your pastor. You know what I mean? They like, they, they, they took another one of your pastors, put him in prison. You're thinking like, we should probably, let's just, hey guys, take three or four weeks off until all this political turmoil dies down. But here they are still praying. You'd think they'd quit. Like, we prayed and prayed, and yet James died. We prayed and prayed. Peter's in prison. Let's just keep praying. <laughs> like, they just, kept, they just kept knocking. They just kept asking. They just kept seeking. Because they knew what Jesus had told them. If you just keep asking, you'll get it. If you just keep seeking, you'll find it. If you just keep knocking, the door will get open for you. So here they are inside still praying. Look at verse 13. So Peter knocked at the door in the gate 
and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. Peter's just out there knocking. <laughs> just cracks me up. And this little like servant girl comes, Rhoda, in verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, hey, Peter's standing at the door. I don't know, like in my head, she, Rhoda's like a 12-year-old white girl. I don't know. She's like, hey, guys, P- Peter's out there at the door, everybody. That's what I hear. I, I hear yeah. And so she's like, she forgot to let him in. He's just standing outside. Imagine if you're Peter. <laughs> and you're like, the angel just bailed on you in the middle of the street. Now the girl, like knock on the door, and the girl just like bails on you, standing outside the door. I wonder if people are like walking by. He's like, hey, guys, what's up? Just, just waiting to get let in. You know, like what's he thinking? You know, like she doesn't let him in. She goes back to tell everybody, hey, guys, Peter's at the door. And this is what they say, verse 15. You're out of your mind. And that's a compliment. If I'm her, I'm thinking that's a compliment because my mind's where the prison's been the whole time. My mind's has been what's keeping me held hostage all this time. I, I want to be out of my mind. And when she insisted, I love that phrase, when she insisted, they decided it must be an angel. Why did she insist? Well, because in the previous verse, you heard her say, she recognized it was Peter's voice. She hadn't seen him. But she had heard him preach so many times. She had been at those church services so many times that she recognized his voice through the door. So she insisted, no, no, no. I know who that is outside the door. I know who's waiting out there. It's Peter. She insisted because she knew his voice. I love that part. And then what's crazy is they're like, oh, once she insisted, they decided, must be an angel. (laughs) Your answer to your prayer request is right outside the door. But for some reason, it's easier for you to believe that there's an angel out there than that God actually answered your prayer. <laughs> like, like, right? Like, I think it's a ghost. It's an angel, some spirit out there. Like, what have you been in here praying for? The answer to your prayer is right outside that door, but they found it easier to believe that there was an angel out there than that God had actually answered what they asked for. Is that you? Are there things you pray for that deep down inside you think like, it's not going to happen. Like I know I'm asking, I'm supposed to ask for that, but it's not going to happen. I want to be freed from that, but uh, it's the way I've always been. Nobody's going to help. I'll just keep praying. I can tell people I'm praying for, but like I know outside that door is probably something else waiting for me. Don't stop knocking. Look at verse 16. What's Peter doing? Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. Wouldn't you? Like, uh, can I get in? Or like, I thought I was part of this church. Did you like remove my letter while I was in prison? Or what happened? Like, did they have a business meeting? Or somebody take me off the roll because they thought I was going to get killed tomorrow? Jump the gun a little bit? Like, I'm out here. He just kept knocking. And when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. Don't stop knocking. Don't stop knocking. 
Because there's somebody on the other side of the door that needs to be amazed at how powerful God has been in your life. You need to get in there and tell your story. You need to get in there and tell them what Jesus has done for you. Because they need it. Listen, some of you guys need to believe again. You need to believe again in some area that it's just been easier to conclude there's no hope. Open the door and let the miracle in. I know it's hard to trust God when it feels like everyone else in your life has let you down. But what else are you going to do? Just lock yourself inside and pretend like you're living when all you're doing is hiding? In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. And anyone who opens the door, I will come in and share a meal with you and enter into relationship with you. And then the very next verse, and I will give you everlasting eternal life with me. Jesus is knocking. He's on one side of the door. You're on the other side of the door. Here's the cool thing. At the end of Acts chapter 12, Peter's not dead. King Herod is. You could read the rest of the chapter on your own if you want, but it's like the whole thing got flipped. It turns out that God had a plan all along. And the only reason he allows the trials in the first place is to free us from what's holding us captive. And I just want to challenge you guys today, don't give up on God. Because I can promise you, he hasn't given up on you. If your heart's still beating, he's still knocking. Saying, let me in. There's a miracle on the other side of the door. Do you want it or not? You're going to keep straining? You're going to start sleeping? You're going to keep trying? You're going to start trusting? It's on the other side of the door. He's knocking. Open the door. So in case you missed those, let me just sum them up for you. Ready? See with your faith, not your fear. Man, what would your life look like if you lived that way? Obedience always comes before freedom. And don't stop knocking. Just think if your life looked like that, if I lived based on faith, not on fear. If I obeyed, even when I wasn't really feeling it. And if I never gave up seeking, asking, knocking for God's help. What would my life look like? I know what it'd look like. It'd look like a miracle. It'd look a lot like freedom. It'd look a lot like a story that was amazing other people. Can I pray with you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this series and all these narratives that are challenging my heart. Would you give the people in our room here today the courage to step out and walk by faith and not, not based on their fear? Would you give them the strength and the courage to obey even when they don't feel like it? And would you give them the endurance to keep knocking even when they feel like giving up? God, would you give somebody in our room today the faith and the courage to step out of their comfort zone and say, today's my day. I want to be the miracle. I want to follow Jesus with my whole heart. And I want to see God set me free and amaze other people with my story. If you want to do that, all you got to do is just tell Jesus. All you got to do is tell him, yeah, Jesus, I'm in. I'm opening the door. Will you come eat with me? Will you come have a relationship with me? Will you come give me eternal life? 
and be with me forever. And in that moment, you get out of your mind and transformed into something brand new. In Jesus' name.